podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 30th of August, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So UK expats wanting to watch Match of the Day on BBC iPlayer, a Liberty Shield VPN is what you need. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and check out the hardware and software packages. The hardware package is a router, which you plug into your normal broadband router and connect devices to it that you want to change the IP address on. Software package is instantly downloadable to your device. Again, libertyshield.com and use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, to get 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Cop, Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And lastly, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off your football merchandising needs. Do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa podcast coming soon and on this feed. And the EPL Roundtable, which you can find on its own feed. Search EPL Roundtable on your podcast provider and listen to the show hosted by Kevin DeVries. Right, folks. Um, it is a Tuesday. There are, including today, three days left in the transfer window. There are teams beginning to scramble. There are fan bases getting more and more vocal. And there are clubs who may not be happy with the business they've done or or may not be entirely happy with the business they've done, but are deciding to sit out the remaining three days and maybe keep their powder dry for January or some such. There is also one club now in the Premier League who must not only try and add some more players to this squad, but also now add a manager after Bournemouth made the decision to part ways with Scott Parker. Now, Parker wasn't, I don't think, anybody's first pick to be the first manager fired. Rodgers, Gerrard, Lampard, they were the three names constantly doing the rounds. They were the three names with the bookies. But Scott Parker has been relieved of his position as manager this morning. Now, there's a couple of ways to look at this. Bournemouth started the season with a very tough run of games. Aston Villa on the first day at home, they get the win. 2-0, great win, great result. Then they go to City, they get Arsenal at home, and then they go to Liverpool. Did anyone expect any points from those games? I don't even think, based on what he had to say, that Scott Parker expected any points. But I think 
what Parker had to say is the biggest reason he's been dismissed. I think Scott Parker's decision to come out after multiple games and say that the squad wasn't good enough, the recruitment wasn't good enough, that they'd probably get hammered again a couple more times this year, that they didn't really expect to take anything from those games. I think those type of statements are the reason he's been dismissed. The statement from Bournemouth is very very short and quite sharp. AFC Bournemouth can announce that the company that the, sorry, that the club has parted company with head coach Scott Parker. Maxime Demon, who is the owner, said, I would like to place on record my gratitude to Scott and his team for their efforts during their time with us. Our promotion back to the the Premier League last season under his tenure will always be remembered as one of the most successful seasons in our history. However, in order for us to keep progressing as a team and a club as a whole, it is unconditional that we are aligned in our strategy to run the club sustainably. We must also show belief in and respect for one another. And that, to me, is the key line in this statement, because Parker has shown no respect for his players in the public statements that he's made. This is the approach that has brought this club so much success in recent history and one that we will not veer from now. Our search for a new head coach will begin immediately. Gary O'Neill, who was an assistant under Parker, will take interim charge of the team and will be assisted by Sean Cooper and Tommy Elphick. Now, the names being linked or being suggested by the bookies don't really fill the heart with joy, don't really fill you with optimism that Bournemouth could find their way out of a relegation trip. Sean Dyche is the immediate bookie's favourite because he is the best manager out there right now in terms of someone they could attract. Would Sean Dyche take that job? I'm not sure. I could certainly see why it would interest them. And I think they have a collective of players that could play Sean Dyche's brand of football. Sam Allardyce is on the shortlist. I I don't think any Bournemouth fan would really like that. He would go against the sort of the, the ethos of the club as well. He's an older agricultural manager. They've been a bit more of a progressive club going for younger managers and wanting to play a more entertaining brand of football. Chris Wilder is one of the people mentioned, and obviously Borough have made a a difficult start to this season. But would he walk away this quickly? I'm not sure. Would he go that far south? I'm also not sure. Sean Dyche at least managed at Watford before. He's been he's been somewhat south in the past. Um, if you look at this squad in terms of what would Dyche do, 
I do think there are some similarities in this and the squad he had at Burnley. Mark Travers and Nick Pope are similar styles of goalkeepers. I think he'd play Lewis, uh, sorry, Lloyd Kelly as his left back. I think he's a great fit as a Daesh left back. Sinisi as the left-sided centre-back doing the Ben Me type of thing. Could see that one. There is no Tarkovsky type. And in truth, there's no quality right-side centre-back. Now, would he have the gumption to just throw James Hill in and see what the young fella can do? You might have to patch it together until summer or until January rather uh, and, and use the likes of Chris Metham who just looks completely out of his depth in the Premier League at right back I mean none of these options are particularly good Ryan Fredericks, Jack Stacey Adam Smith they're all very much championship players but he did use very much championship type players at right back at Bourm- at Burnley so maybe he'd, he'd again just patch that together until January. Midfield, I think he quite liked the options. You think of Westwood, Cork, Brownhill. Well, Lewis Cook is very much in their sort of mould, as is Joe Rothwell. You've also got an aggressive ball winner in Jefferson Lerma, who I think he'd quite like. And you've got um, the big Dane, Philip Billing. And you've got Ben Pearson, who's, you know, another kind of neat and tidy sort of one. So I think the central midfield options would work well. He's not back yet. And when he does come back, he'll have to be eased back in. But if you think of Dyche using Dwight McNeil from the right quite a bit, couldn't David Brooks play that role? And then, you know, go for... He played Aaron Lennon as a winger for a number of years. Couldn't you use potentially Jaden Anthony or even Jordan Zamora, who I know is a left-back, but I think could play as a winger? And then up front, he gets Kiefer Moore as his Chris Wood type. He gets Solanke as... He didn't really have a Solanke type, but he, you know... I think he quite likes Solanke, tall, quick, decent on the ball. He had the likes of Jay Rodriguez there. I didn't mention Tavernier. He can play wide as well, obviously. They bought him this window. He's got Jamal Lowe, who I think he could use. I didn't mention Ryan Christie, who's a decent player. Like, the chances of them staying up are minimal. Let's be... Very, very clear. No matter who they bring in, the chances of them staying up are minimal. But you could see Dyche coming in and very quickly putting a team together from that group that suits how Sean Dyche likes to play football. And if they could get him in and give Dyche maybe 24 hours to recruit some players, I mean, a centre back and a right back probably find those players probably could find those players who they'd be I don't know 
I genuinely don't know who he would go for, but I certainly think there's enough there to at least pique the interest of Sean Dyche to make him wonder if that's a squad worth taking over. Like, there is talent there. And if they do go down, it's certainly a squad that could come straight back up. They'll need to make a decision quickly, though. They need to be offering that job to somebody tomorrow at the latest. Because unless they just decide that they're going to roll with O'Neill and say, well, look, we, we, we probably will go down, but we're going to appoint someone for the longer term. It's not going to be just about staying in the division. And then you give Dyche or, who, or whoever a couple of months to assess the squad. Then you get the World Cup break, and a lot of their players won't be going to the World Cup. So he gets to work with them then almost as a preseason. And then in January, he can go out and add what he needs and also add those players with a view on, we're probably going down, so let's be in the best position to come straight back up. Funnily enough, Dundee United also hammered 9-0 at the weekend by Celtic. Uh, have sacked Jack Ross uh, and Jack Ross had only been in charge for seven games um, so obviously disappointment for him um, he'd done he'd done okay at different different spots he did well with St Mirren he did okay with uh, with Sunderland as well I thought he was a little bit harshly treated there he was Hibernian manager left in December uh, took over Dundee United at the end of June, 20th of June, and uh, lasted till the 30th of August. One win, one draw, and five defeats. Uh, I'm sure he'll get another job. He is better than what he's shown there. Jack Ross is a, is a decent manager, I think, anyway. Um, the one thing about him is his is, is brand of football isn't great. So if the results aren't going in his favour, he doesn't really have a whole lot of rope with the fan base. And when fan bases start to turn, it's an easy thing for for an owner to do, to just get rid of a manager. Right, let's do winners and losers from the weekend. Uh, The first winner I'm putting down as Arsenal. The biggest thing here is showing fight and determination when they went 1-0 down. Arsenal last season struggled desperately whenever they went behind in games. And this was really promising from an Arsenal point of view. Uh, Odegaard recently appointed as the captain, leading the way, being the one to get Arsenal back into the game. I think that's That in itself is a win. Um, I know it's only Fulham, but Fulham have started the season well. So, you know, they're the only team with a 100% record in the Premier League. They're two points clear at the top. Not that it means anything after four games, but they have started the season well. They managed to come from behind and get a win. It was a little bit questionable whether that goal should have stood, but it did stand. They got the win, and therefore they are... A winner from this weekend. Uh, I would say next on my list of winners would be Chelsea. 
because when you go down to 10 men and have to play for over an hour with 10 men to go on and win a game that was nil-nil when that red card happened, I just think is a, a pretty big achievement in this division where there aren't very many teams that are just a pushover. And Leicester City have a lot of talent in their ranks. You look at that Leicester team, now forget Danny Ward because he is what he is, but Castanier, Justin, Tielemans, Dewsbury Hall, Barnes, Vardy, Ianacho coming off the bench and Didi coming off the bench. There's a lot of talent there. That's not a bad team. It's just badly managed. And um, yeah, I think Chelsea showed a lot of fight, and a lot of determination. I think Tuchel adapted well tactically to what was going on. I don't think you have to put Liverpool as the third one because they won 9-0. It's a Premier League record equaling scoreline. Only the fourth time in history that's happened. United-Ipswich. Leicester over Southampton. United over Southampton. So it's only ever happened four times. And Liverpool didn't look like it was a struggle for them. Like, this wasn't a thing where it flattered them. This was quite a comfortable 9-0 win, which is a bit of a mad thing to say. Of course, any 9-0 win is... I don't mean... I'm not even going to try and correct myself. You know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, that's not my fault. Well, it is, but I'm not going to bother apologising for it. Anyway, let's move on. Losers from the weekend. Bournemouth have to be the first one. You get tonked 9-0. Your manager gets the, the boot. He, you're absolutely in the loser category. There's no need to pile on, though. We'll just leave them there. I think Everton have to go in here because for them, without a win thus far this season, to go ahead in the 24th minute and manage to hold that lead for an entire hour and then succumb late on to a Vitali Janot equaliser, I just think is a bit of a hammer blow. For Everton, and when we take a look at Everton's upcoming fixtures, uh, away to Leeds, at home to Liverpool, away to Arsenal, at home to West Ham, you're wondering where points are coming for from for this team. I think it's going to be a very long season for Everton. Uh, you also factor in. They're managed by Frank Lampard, so they're losers every week. That's the case. So, you know, there's the, I don't make these rules. That's just how the rules are. Um, and the last one I would go with, I think, has to be Aston Villa. Because, again, you're four games into a season. You've started really badly. It's not like you've played the creme de la creme yet. You've got one win. It was over Frank Lampard's Everton. But you've got three defeats and you're making it look quite easy to beat you because West Ham didn't play well. This wasn't West Ham at their best by any stretch. And yet they turned up and left with the win without ever really having anything to worry about. You went one up against Palace last week and then they swept you aside. You got beaten very comfortably by Bournemouth on the opening day of the season. 
Villa don't look like a good football team. They don't look like a well-coached football team. They don't look like a coached football team. They look like a group of friends who maybe went to university together and meet up once a week or once a month even to play football against a different group of friends from that same university. And there's been no coaching and no discussion. They just turn up and play. And that's kind of what Villa look like right now. So for that reason, they have to go in as a loser. So winners this week, I'm going Arsenal, I'm going Chelsea, I'm going Liverpool. Losers this week, we're going Bournemouth, we're going Everton, and we've got to go Aston Villa. Um, It just has to be so. It has to be so. Leicester probably deserve to be included here as well because they had the advantage of playing against 10 men for over 60 minutes and managed to lose the game and they're bottom of the league and they've only got one point and their manager isn't very good either and looks like he might well be next out the door. Uh, So I'm actually going to include them as well. So we're getting four losers this week. On the topic of Leicester's manager, Brendan Rodgers now, I think, evens to be next manager sacked. I've seen some Aston Villa fans suggest that he should be high on their list of potential replacements. Have they not had enough suffering over the last 10 years without inviting him into their club? And you're Aston Villa. You can't go and appoint someone that's just been sacked by a smaller Midlands rival. You just can't. Yes, Brendan Rodgers won the FA Cup with Leicester. Very well done. It's the only reason he still has a job now. But Brendan Rodgers also oversaw a disastrous campaign last year that was only saved by teams around them going to the beach a month early and then managing to scrape their way into eighth when realistically they were a bottom half team for most of the season. Yes, he finished fifth twice because he bottled top four twice. Let us go back to the pandemic when football stopped and Leicester, according to 538 in the supercomputer, had a 97% chance of finishing third, let alone top four. It was 99.1 or something to finish top four. And Brendan Rodgers managed to throw that away. The following season then, again, their top four all season long. You've got a Liverpool team destroyed by injuries. You've got a Chelsea team that are a bit of a mess because they've been managed by a PE teacher for half the year. And Thomas Tuchel took over when they were like 12th or something. You've got a Spurs team that are a mess. You've got an Arsenal team that are a mess. Top four is being gifted to you. Gifted to you. And you manage to make a mess of it. And it's, it's definitely a case where people look back at a season and think, oh, well, they finished fifth. And, like, you know, look at the Premier League table there. I mean, in 1920, United and Chelsea finished above them. And they were ahead of Tottenham and ahead of Arsenal. Fair, except that 
United were managed by Oli and were a mess, and Chelsea were managed by Frank Lampard, who is an awful manager. Tottenham had a disastrous season coming off the back of winning the European Cup, or sorry, losing the European Cup final. They sacked Pochettino mid-season, and it's all haywire for a couple of months there. They bring in Mourinho, and he somewhat said it steadies the ship, but they were still poor. And Arsenal, well, they're managed by Mikel Arteta, who's fresh to a job. He'd taken over the previous season. Obviously, they won the FA Cup uh, this season, but... This wasn't a good Arsenal team at all. So if you look at each individual team and what they were at the time, Leicester should have gotten top four. The same thing the following season. Again, Chelsea are a mess. Lampard gets sacked in the January. Liverpool have injuries everywhere. Tottenham sacked Mourinho mid-season. Arsenal still don't know what they're doing. And if you remember correctly as well, Arsenal ended that season with five wins in a row, which is the only reason they actually finished not just in eighth, but in the top half. Because at one point it looked like they could finish below that. So when you look back in hindsight, you just look at the names of the teams and what your expectations for those clubs are. Yeah. Then fifth twice is is very impressive. When you remember the reality of what it was, not so much. Not so much at all. I mean, Leicester not getting top four in both of those seasons was more difficult than them actually getting top four in in the run-ins. Like, think of this. They were first of January. 21 games into the season. They're second in the league. In the last 17 games that season, they won four. They lost to Southampton, a team they'd beaten 9-0. They lost to Burnley. They lost to Norwich. They lost to a bad Everton. They lost to Bournemouth, who got relegated. It wasn't like they just lost the top teams. They lost to bad teams as well. They drew with Watford. Like, they dropped points against everybody. They bottled that. There's no other way to look at it. They bottled that top four finish. And the same thing then the following season. They're in third with two games left. And they managed to throw it away. All they needed to do was go and draw with Chelsea. It wasn't a particularly good Chelsea team. And it was a Chelsea team that I know won the European Cup. But it was a Chelsea team that were resting players. So. Lost to a bad Newcastle. Drew with Southampton. Drew with Burnley. When it came down to it. They bottled it. And that was on him. And people say, well, last season did a lot of injuries. Did they have a lot of injuries? 
in part because he keeps overplaying players, rushing them back when they're not ready to go. And he's also removed a lot of key backroom and front office staff that weren't yes-men. There's been a lot of changes on the medical staff, on the sports science staff. He's changed the entire coaching staff at the club. He's changed massive portions of the recruitment staff. All to have yes-men. Because that's what he does. He did it at Liverpool as well. He did it at Celtic. Aston Villa should stay as far clear of Brendan Rodgers as they possibly can. Right, we will take a break. And when we come back, we'll go through the news and the gossip. And uh, I'm going to make predictions for each club before the end of the transfer window. How many players in before the end of the transfer window? So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, West Ham United have officially unveiled Lucas Paqueta as their new signing. A club record fee, 46 million plus add-ons from Olympic Lyon. This is a great signing. An absolutely tremendous signing for West Ham. Paqueta is an outstanding player. And to get him and Skimaka in one window is probably the most exciting thing that's happened to West Ham since they won the World Cup. Um, this is great business. I don't know that he'll be there all that long because I think if he plays at his best level, he will find, or they will find, the top clubs come knocking on their door. But their aim is to become one of said top clubs. And he has signed a long-term deal, so... They'll be under no immediate pressure to sell if he explodes. And I think they, like Newcastle, have done exceptionally well to sign a Brazilian international player from Leon with no real competition, bizarrely. I don't understand how there's no competition for these players. But congrats to West Ham and their fans should be very excited. Callum Hudson-Odoi is joining Bayer Leverkusen on loan. We've known that, and I'm excited for that one. I think he'll do really, really well there. And I think that's a very exciting group of players that Gerard Sione has to work with now. Uh, the likes of him, Diaby, Adley, Klozek, they're four really exciting kind of wide forward winger options. He's also got Paulinho he can use in those areas. Patrick Schick, obviously the striker. They'll get Florian Wirtz back as their number 10. Uh, they've got Ezekiel Palacios and Amiri and Demer Bay and a bunch of other players that are all very exciting in midfield. And then they've got, I think, potentially a great young defence if they just commit to it. If they would just leave Jonathan Ta out of the team, I think they could be exceptionally strong at the back as well. So... Leverkusen are going to be fun to watch this year, so make sure if you get a chance that you check them out. Uh, Manchester United are set to sign uh, Martin Dubravka from Newcastle. That will really get fans in the stands excited. Uh, they are also going to complete the deal for Anthony, um, the biggest overpay of the summer by a considerable margin. Very talented player, but I mean, he has proven nothing and produced very little in his two years at Ajax to suggest he warrants that type of fee 
I feel like if he, even if he maximizes his talent, I still think that's going to look like a big overpay. Because when you see Rafinha going to Barcelona for 55 million, who's a significantly better player than him, it, you just can't look at this any other way as it's a big overpay. And they've overpaid massively for him. They overpaid massively for Martinez. The only player they bought that they didn't overpay for was Malashia. And the only reason they didn't overpay for him was because Leon had already agreed the fee with Feyenoord. And I'd say Feyenoord are fuming that United didn't come in earlier because they might have got, I don't know, 25, 30 million for him rather than 15. The gift that keeps on giving is Manchester United recruitment. Uh, Willian is set to seal a move to Fulham. He has apparently passed a medical and um, will join the West London club. I, I don't really see the logic here. He did not look like he was good enough to play in the Premier League when he was at Arsenal, which is the season before last, I don't know why he would all of a sudden be good enough now. It'll be harder in a Fulham team that will be in all likelihood in the bottom six or seven for most of the season. So what he can offer, I don't know. Experience, bit of leadership maybe. Um, but I think for him, it was more a case that he wanted to move back to London and he wanted to move back to that area of London, which is obviously very close to Chelsea, where he spent... Um, much of his much of his career so i think that's probably the the driving factor for him right what would each club do i this is the last show i will have before the trans window closes i'm definitely not here tomorrow definitely not here thursday friday just depends so it could be monday before you hear from me again uh in which case I'll miss all the excitement of the transfer market. And um yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a kick in the teeth, but it is what it is. Um so Manchester City, I don't think we'll do anything more. I don't think we'll see anybody arrive between now and the end of the window for City. I think their business is done. I think they'll probably just start planning now for January. Manchester United, I think once they get Anthony and Dubravka across the line, I think that's them them done as well. Uh, I think they've obviously overpaid for players. I think they've probably overspent from what they had planned. But United fans cannot complain now. It'll be $200 million spent in this window. And... Hasn't really been spent all that way. Is it 200 million? It can't be 200 million. Yeah, Casemiro, Martinez, Anthony, Malashi, yeah, Dubravka. It'll be about 200 million spent. And they can't really complain that money hasn't been spent. Uh, I think Dubravka and Anthony will see them uh, done for this window anyway. Um, I have no logical reason for thinking this. I don't know why I'm doing this off the 2021 league table. It's just what I have in front of me. I must change that. Hang on. Hang on. We'll do the current table. Uh, I've done those two. We'll start again with Arsenal. David Ornstein has said today that um, 
Mohamed El Nani suffered a significant injury versus Fulham and is expected to miss a considerable spell. Thomas Partey also has a muscle problem. So they may look to recruit a midfielder. I, I think Arsenal are probably done as well. I, I don't think they'll get a midfielder. And if they do, it might be a loan. It might just be a loan. Um, that's my guess, is that they won't do anything. I think Brighton will bring in one more. I don't know who it will be. I think it might be like a midfielder or someone obscure that we don't really know. Another one from South America, maybe. Leeds, I think, will try and bring in one attacker. They need an attacker, and I think they'll bring one in. Chelsea, obviously, trying to get Fafana across the line. I think they'll probably try and get that Russian midfielder. And if they don't, I think they're done with Fafana. The tune, I think Isak, and that's it. I think they're done. Now we get Liverpool. There's no logical reason behind this, but I think they get a midfielder. But there's no logical reason we think that because they've let me down all summer long. So I'm just going to say they're going to sign a midfielder. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to hope for the best. Uh, Brentford, I think, would like to bring in one more. I think we could see another defender arrive, potentially a young player or a loan. Um, Fulham, I actually expect a couple because they're just they're that type of club that will do you know some kind of mad stuff on deadline day. So maybe two in for Fulham. Crystal Palace, I think one more to come. I think they'll be a midfielder. It wouldn't surprise me if it's Conor Gallagher. Southampton, I think, will try and bring in a forward. Watch Ben Brereton's name potentially come up for them. Nottingham Forest, after Renan Lodi's done, if they get Willy Bolly, I think they're done at that point. Uh, Aston Villa, I think, will panic and bring in somebody. I just have no clue who it will be. West Ham, excuse me. West Ham, I still think, have one more move to make after Piquetta. So just keep an eye on them for one more player. Um, depending on what Bournemouth do manager-wise, there might be as many as two players coming in. Everton, I expect to be very busy on deadline day. I'm going to say three more in before the deadline closes. Potentially a loan. Potentially someone that is a bit of a surprise and then one that's a very Frank Lampard signing. Uh, Wolves, I think, have one more to come in. And Leicester, with Fafana going, I'm expecting a couple of loans or a couple of free agent type things. Um, I know they're trying to get Amin Harat across the line. Or Harit, Amin Harit. Um, they'll probably bring in a centre-back to replace Fafana, probably on loan, because I don't think they want to give Brendan... Uh, any money to spend because I have a feeling they're going to sack him fairly soon. I mean, Harith is coming in from Schalke, spent last season on loan at Marseille. Was was pretty good for Marseille, it must be said. Played an important part in getting them into the top flight. Um, yeah, I'm going to say they get him 
and a centre-back. Yeah, it's a loan, and I'm guessing the centre-back is going to be a loan as well. Because I just don't think they'll give him any money to spend. And that's it. That is what I'm thinking will happen. So it should be a busy enough couple of days. Um, I think there's going to be a couple of clubs trying to sell players as well, though. I think we could actively see clubs trying to sell to to balance their books and, and their profit and loss. What have we got gossip-wise? Um, Fabian Ruiz will travel to Paris to complete his move to PSG. Carlos Soler is also expected to join PSG. Fee between 15 and 17 million euro. Um, Arsenal are expected to... Sorry, Arsenal are exploring the opportunity to sign Antoine Griezmann. Don't believe that. Uh, George Mendes has now offered... <clears throat> Napoli the chance to sign Cristiano Ronaldo on a free loan and the proposal does not involve United signing Victor Osman. Uh, I don't think George Mendes has the ability to offer such things. Um, Tottenham have confirmed that they have made Christian Romero's deal permanent. Five-year contract, great signing. Sevilla are hoping to reach an agreement with Adnan Yanazai. Thomas Mounier has become a priority target for Barcelona. The Dortmund have already said he's not leaving. Uh, Paul Pogba, yeah, there's a, the whole Pogba thing is crazy. It really is crazy. I'm going to wait for more to come out before we start talking about it too much. Uh, Sasek Kalasic will undergo his Wolves medical today ahead of a £18 million move to Stuttgart. PSG will complete the signing of Fabian Ruiz today. We've had that one. Talks are ongoing between Juventus and PSG for Leandro Paredes. Arsenal could be forced signing a midfielder. Cristiano is now close to staying at Manchester United. Uh, moves to Napoli and Sporting are looking unlikely. Nobody wants him, is the fact of it. Memphis Depay is now close to staying at Barcelona. Edinson Cavani has had his medical and been confirmed as the new Valencia striker. Um, PSG are still trying to sign Milan Skriniar. Manchester United apparently tried to hijack uh, the signing of Alexander Isak by, um, by Newcastle. Ajax are close to signing Lucas Acampus. Sergio Regulon has completed his loan move to Atletico Madrid. Callum Hudson-Odoi has officially signed for Leverkusen, so that's good. Um, that's fine. That is all we have there. We'll just get to the BBC gossip next. Chelsea will follow up the signing of Wesley Fofana. Oh, I didn't even think... Aubameyang, yeah, they probably will get Aubameyang. I don't think they'll get Anthony Gordon at this stage. But yeah, they'll probably get Fafana and, and Aubameyang. Um, Tottenham boss Antonio Conte wants Harry Kane to sign a new contract. I think everybody at Chelsea wants Harry Kane. Everybody at Tottenham wants Harry Kane to sign a new contract. Spurs are in talks over potential loan for Dan James. I don't understand that one at all. Um... 
they've also reignited their interest in Yannick Carrasco. So they seemingly want another wide player in. Aston Villa have a strong interest in Graham Potter as a replacement for Steven Gerrard should he be sacked. Paris Saint-Germain are monitoring N'Golo Kante's contract situation. Ajax are looking at Sevilla and Argentina winger Lucas Acampos. We know this. Southampton have had a bid of £21 million for Cody Gakpo. That's way undervalued. They were never going to get that accepted. Um, Newcastle are keen on Tomeo Bakayoko, as are Nottingham Forest. Okay. Crystal Palace have made a £27 million offer for Conor Gallagher, according to the Times. <clears throat> so we'll wait and see what happens there. Uh, Arsenal defender Hector Bellerin could join Real Betis. Again, probably a little alone. Frankie de Jong will remain at, the, at Barcelona despite being heavily linked to Manchester United and Chelsea. Uh, he was in England, I think, yesterday, but apparently it was for Donny van der Beek's wedding. Now, someone on Sky said it wasn't, but I, I genuinely don't know. Uh, there was a lot of reports that it was. Aston Villa and Wolves are both interested in signing Craig Dawson. Juventus will try and sign Douglas Luis if they cannot strike an agreement with... PSG for Leandro Paredes. Uh, Sepp Vandenberg is set to join Schalke on loan from Liverpool. It's a good move from uh, Leicester, I mean, Harit. And Fulham have agreed a deal to sign Levan Kurzawa. They're also trying to sign Justin Clivert. And you, Ajax were also mentioned for Clivert, which is obviously where he started off. That's it for today, folks. That is the gossip. That is the news. Um, I will see you maybe Friday. Maybe Friday, but in all likelihood, probably Monday. I'm gonna, I'll try and be here for Friday. It just depends on things. Uh, if not, I'll definitely be here Monday. So take care of yourselves. Have a good week. And uh, yeah, just keep your fingers crossed for your team and for me. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.